Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and thanks for joining us at Back to the Bible Canada. During today's program, we'll pick up with part two of the message, What It Means to Be Human. So let's turn now to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, as we continue our series, He Made Me Human, with Dr. John Newfeld. Can you live without purpose? You know the answer, you can't. You know, the great English novelist, historian, and philosopher H.G. Wells, probably best known for his book, The War of the Worlds, wrote at age 61, I have no peace. All life is at the end of the tether. The poet Byron said, My days are in yellow leaf. The flowers and fruits of life are gone, and the worm and the canker and the grief are mine alone. Henry David Thoreau said, Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. Ralph Barton, famous cartoonist, left a note pinned to his pillow before taking his life. It said, I have had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I have gone from wife to wife, from house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. There are two aspects of our essential humanity found at the end of Genesis, which teaches us what it means to be human. The first aspect dealt with the essential nature or the essence of our humanity. It teaches us that we were made in the image of God. But this second aspect, equally as important, deals with the essential nature of our humanity, what it is that we have been called to do and to accomplish. Before I read the last words of Genesis 1, let me read to you a part of a prayer prayed many years ago by a very famous Christian. His name was Augustine of Hippo. He lived from A.D. 354 to 430. He was the bishop in the city of Hippo Regius in what is now Algeria in North Africa. And here's what he prayed. Great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. Your power is immense and your wisdom beyond reckoning. And so we men who are a due part of your creation long to praise you. We also carry our mortality about with us, carry the evidence of our sin, and with it the proof that you thwart the proud. You arouse us so that praising you may bring us joy, because you have made us and drawn us to yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I hope you see the difference between Augustine and the other examples I've given. To be human means to know more than simply that we are objectively created in the image of God. I mean, to know that is foundational, but you need to know more than that foundation. You need to know what life is for and what you are for and what it is that your restless heart so desperately seeks. For if you don't know that, you'll simply look to invent devices to fill up 24 hours in the day. While we're ready, let's read Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. And you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps over the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. 
And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So, from what we've just read, what is our great purpose in life? Notice from verse 26 that the image of God, which was placed into the man as male and female, is expressed in kingship and dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish and the birds and the livestock and everything that creeps on the ground. In essence, let the image bearers of God rule all other creatures. See, when we were originally created, we were called upon to rule over the work of God's hand. God, who is not only the creator, but the ruler of his creation, created image bearers who are given the task to rule under his authority and on his behalf. But what practically can that mean? If in creating the living beings that inhabit the earth, God forms them and calls them good, meaning that they are perfectly carrying out the purpose that God has for them, why do we need to rule over them? I think in order to understand that, we must see how the term dominion is used throughout the Old Testament. In the majority of instances, when the word is used, it refers to human relationships. It might speak of a master over his hired servant, an administrator over his employees, a king over his subjects, or even one nation having dominion over the other. Now, if all of that seems harsh, consider Ezekiel 34, where the shepherds of Israel, the priests and teachers of the law, are being condemned for ruling or having dominion over Israel in a harsh manner. Now, by harsh, Ezekiel 34 means these shepherds have only exercised their dominion for their own advantage and not for the good of the sheep or for the good of the people of Israel. The shepherds should have protected the sheep, fed them, sought after the strays to bring them back, bind up the one who had been wounded, and so forth. That's what proper dominion looks like. Now, let's take that theme to our discussion about Adam's dominion. God so created the animal world that they would need to be governed and cared for, and they would need management, government, and rule. But there are other parts of the natural world that need the same. Let's see if I can give some examples. Think about what government looks like when it comes to medicine. Medicine deals with establishing dominion over the human body. How about science? Again, the same thing. It is establishing dominion over nature. Or why do you think people get such a sense of pride and accomplishment when they build a house or create a beautiful garden? And the reason why creative and benevolent rulership is so satisfying to us is that we were created to rule. As God's agents, we were created to be lords of the earth. See, the sad fact is that sin has twisted this, like other aspects of creation. Some people exercise dominion by destroying others' lives. Think about criminals or, or about dictators. Some exercise dominion by destroying the earth and so create environmental destruction. Some people rule by being manipulative, by assassinating other people's reputations. Others simply have to get their own way. And if anyone stands in the way of what they want, they'll try to bulldoze over them. Our ability to rule can have terrifying implications, but rulership is our destiny. We can't get away from it. God created you with accomplishments in mind. You are in God's image, and God's image is expressed in the exercising of dominion. Now, as we continue to read our passage, we see in verse 27 that the image of God is expressed in male and female. According to God's creative design, he decided to create us in two genders. There's so much that can and needs to be said about this, but let me say here that the Bible teaches that men and women are both equally in the image of God. 
We may be different from each other, and we may even play different roles in expressing the dominion of God, but never forget that right here in the beginning of the Bible, God unequivocally states the fundamental equality of the genders. Well, let's move forward. Let's see if we can get an even more concrete handle on the special and unique task that God has given us in the world. We notice from verse 28 that God told the man and the woman to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, that is, fill the earth with people. So when Adam and Eve were created, they were the only two people on the earth. The command to fill the earth was rather straightforward. Have lots of kids. But, and here we must answer why they were to do this. Is it simply that human beings were to become the dominant species? Well, in some sense, but not entirely. Remember, they are image bearers of God, and as they increase and gradually fill the earth, they are to fill the earth with the glory of God. They are to rule everything on earth under the authority of their creator. Let me speak to parents for just a moment. There ought really to be only one concern for your children. Your concern should be that your children become committed followers of Jesus Christ, humbly obedient to the one who has created them. That is fundamental. Their education, their career, their marriage partner, and so forth. That is, all their activities that make up their lives are lived out in demonstrating the rulership of God in all of these areas. And so if you're a parent, do your children know that? Do they know that you think their spiritual future is the thing that matters most? Or do they think that making money matters more, even if it's divorced from demonstrating the dominion of God? See, but this command goes well beyond our children. We want everyone's children to be obedient to Jesus. In order to fill the earth with his glory, we must bring everyone under obedience to Christ. Our mission in life is the Great Commission. As we go out and make disciples of all people, we are expressing God's dominion over the whole earth. We preach the gospel so that people can be reconciled to God and live out their divine mission. As we continue to learn more about the essential nature of our humanity, it's clear that a large part of understanding who we are is understanding what we are created to do. Perhaps many of us don't yet have a clear sense of what it means by rulership and how our calling to rule under the authority of God impacts every aspect of our lives. Well, when we come back, Dr. Neufeld helps us see practically what rulership looks like in terms of overseeing creation and filling the earth according to Genesis. Back to the Bible Canada ministers God's word that we might become a people for his glory. Our teaching reaches individuals and congregations of faith, but homes of faith need God's truth as well. Households are the first places we learn to read scripture, say our prayers, and share the works of God. To help your family's spiritual growth, Laugh Again with Phil Calloway is releasing an exciting new resource titled, Four Minutes for Frazzled Families. It's a 31-day devotional guide for parents or grandparents to help their families grow in their walk with the Lord. Back to the Bible Canada believes these precious times of sharing together spiritually are crucial. So we invite you to request your copy of Four Minutes for Frazzled Families as our free gift to you and your family by visiting backtothebible.ca or just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. 
There are those who argue that the command in Genesis to subdue the earth has resulted in environmental damage. That is, we seek to dominate all nature, and as we have filled the earth, we have demonstrated our supremacy over nature by killing of species and creating ecological havoc, as we have exploited every aspect of the environment. But that's a very negative reading of this text. We're not only lords of creation, but we are also stewards and managers appointed by God to act on his behalf in our dealings with nature. See, imagine that your father is going on a journey and gave you authority over his house when he's gone. Let's assume that when he came back, he found garbage strewn everywhere and there were holes in the wall and plumbing had broken down, overflowing, and nothing was fixed. The house had become party central and nothing was cared for. Your father says to you, son or daughter, what happened? And you answer, Father, you gave me authority over your house, and I took authority. I ruled over it as I saw fit. And your father would probably answer, son or daughter, did you rule over it as my representative, or did you rule forgetting whose house it was? See, the two commands to subdue and to fill the earth are really one command. It's a command to rule the earth, to be sure, but to rule under the dominion of the Creator. If he has created, we must not destroy, but take dominion as caretakers of what he has made. There is room for Christian environmentalism here. There's room for Christians to say we are his stewards, and he will hold us accountable for how we have treated his property. We do subdue the earth as his representatives, wanting to bring all things under the lordship of Christ. That must mean that in some fashion, there are aspects of dominion that would grow and increase. I assume that human inventions and human organization of this planet were all a part of God's intention for Adam's descendants. The resources of this planet were to be exploited, but not in a manner which did not showcase the abundance of a creator God who made all things for his glory. And I might add here, that this mandate to rule over the works of God's hands has not been lost by the fall. One of the great truths that rise from this text is that all human activity is to be for the glory of God. See, I love the story of the Puritan furniture maker. Someone had noticed in turning upside down one of his chairs that the craftsmanship on the underside of the chair was as ornate as on the top. And when asked about this, because in fact, no one ever saw the bottom of the chair, the Puritan man answered, I made this chair for the glory of God, and God sees the underside of my chairs as well. See, what stands behind that story is that all work that we engage in is to be for the glory of God. You can be a pastor and say that you're in the Lord's work, but you're also in the Lord's work if you're a mechanic or a school teacher or a medical doctor or a plumber. You're in the Lord's work if you are a stay-at-home mom giving yourself to discipling your children so that they might know the divine mandate. There is meaning to that. All is a part of your purpose in exercising dominion. Furthermore, all work, if understood in this way, is a sacred calling. That's why sloth or shoddy workmanship or deceit or taking advantage of others in work is simply out of court for a Christian. We in the task we have been given don't have jobs. We have vocations. We have sacred callings. We are bringing all things under the dominion of the one who owns all things. And we are doing so as his image bearers. Furthermore, on this side of the fall, the work of evangelism, sharing the gospel with all who hear, is a part of this very thing. For us, 
We cannot be satisfied until every image bearer of God confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and learns to function in their God-designed role. Let's move on to verses 29 to 30. There we see that God tells the man and the woman that he has given them every plant yielding seed and every plant for food, and to the beasts also he has given plants for food. Now, these verses have led a great many Bible teachers to notice that at the outset, Adam and Eve were vegetarians, and so were all the animal world. It is only later in Genesis 9, verse 3, that the beasts of the earth are given as food, even as the plants were given as food. You know, as fascinating as that is, let's not lose sight of the fact that the intent here is to show that God has created a world of abundance that can rightfully supply all the physical needs of both the animals and of human beings as they fill the earth. There is a point of application we must not miss. You know, years ago, I remember books being written that indicated that as the human population grew, the resources of the earth would be depleted, and with that, we would see a global crisis of hunger. But how different things have turned out to be. Farming techniques and the resources of human ingenuity have proved that even though this earth is fallen and but a barren rock compared to the fertile and lush beauty of the unfallen world that once was, yet even so, I find myself to be in awe of a God who has placed such abundance into the world. See, today, as world population has grown exponentially, yet with that, the crisis of hunger has in fact lessened and not grown. There really is enough in this world for everyone if we learn to share and rejoice in the goodness of God in the faces of other human beings. Our God feeds us. He has provided us an earth with an incredible variety of resources, plants, animals, fish, birds, trees, water, minerals. Think about the unique balance of nature or how our ecosystem sustains us. This is God's gracious gift to us. Use these resources, he says, in such a way that satisfies you and brings glory to me. No, God does not give us license to destroy. Sin has distorted this blessing, but this blessing was intended to show us God's security and care for our lives. I love the way this chapter ends. Up till now, God has been saying that everything he has made is good, but now at the end, when he sets the man and the woman in his creation, he says it's very good. You know, it's very good because when man is male and female are created, the very purpose of this creation has now taken center stage. When God created the world, he created something that would express something of himself. God created as an expression of his fullness, his abundance and his joy. And now as the king and queen of creation have entered onto the scene, God says, it's now complete. What God has done by creating the man and the woman last, and as he has withheld the words, it is very good until we are created. See, this tells us that this earth has been created for your enjoyment. Enjoy the world. God says, love it, savor it. See, I love what Thomas Traherne wrote in the 17th century. He said, you never enjoy the world aright till the sea itself floweth in your veins, till you are clothed with the heavens and crowned with the stars and perceive yourself to be the sole heir of the whole world and more so, because men are in it who are every one sole heirs as well as you, till you can sing and rejoice and delight in God as misers do in gold and kings in scepters, you will never enjoy the world. See, let me end with this question. Who are you? 
And if your answer is, I'm a sinner, you're right. But you have yet to understand that you are a creature created in the image of God. You have value. If your answer is that you're an animal and only a minor one, you've not yet understood why and for what purpose you were created. See, I've come to believe that many problems with self-esteem, with a sense of personal worth and purpose, much of the aimlessness we experience and the restlessness that makes up our heart comes about because we do not understand who we are and why we have been made. Until we see our relationship with God and with his creation to be what it is, we will fail to enter into our reason for our existence. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have made when you made us. O Heavenly Father, open our eyes that we might see that you have breathed your breath into us and that you have given us and infused us with your purpose. Lord, may we enter fully into what you have made when you made us. John, thanks again for another great message today. And the question that comes to mind for me is, even within the church, why do we struggle so much to see other people as the image of God? You know, I wonder whether that might be a twofold answer to that question. I mean, one of them is uh, we focus so much on the fact that we are sinners, which in fact we are, but we have failed to recognize that the image of God continues to remain in spite of sin. And so there is this dignity that we have to see in every single human being. I guess on the practical side, however, is the fact that we have failed to see it in ourselves, and so we fail to see it in others as well. And so we tend to reduce life down to the very kind of teaching that I spoke about. I mean, we might say we disagree with, uh, you know, some certain philosophies that reduce human beings to simply an animal, and yet We've begun to act that way. We've accepted the world's ideology, and we need to retrain ourselves again. And it will change the way in which we see other people. I'm sure of that. What a great overview of what it means to be human. Not only are we created in God's image, but we're called to rule and enjoy the earth as his representatives. We are to live every aspect of our lives to demonstrate the rulership of God. I hope that you've learned some important lessons today that you can apply in practical and relevant ways. Tomorrow, we'll continue our five-week Genesis series with Dr. Neufeld, examining a topic of finding rest in a restless world. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Here at Back to the Bible Canada, our mission is to reach God's people and engage them in His Word through expositional Bible teaching. To achieve this, we make our Bible teaching and engagement resources available in as many forms on as many mediums as possible. One of these resources includes our bi-monthly Truth and Life magazine containing exclusive articles from Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh-Gain's Phil Calloway, and a variety of pastors, authors, and Christian leaders. In it, you'll also find information about upcoming special ministry events, activities, and projects. It's our hope that this resource would encourage, inspire, and disciple readers to a deeper relationship with the Lord. To subscribe and receive a physical copy of our June issue of Truth and Life magazine, mailed directly to your home, visit backtothebible.ca 
slash magazine, or just give us a call at 1-800-663-2425.